It's your Kali. What's up? The following program was brought to you by Yolo Kali. Keeping it weird since 1997. Oh. Who's that? Who are you? You're not allowed to be in here. Hey, yo, somebody get their grandma. Huh? Ah! Ah! Nah, you gotta do it like this. What's Up is back with another two hours of fully youth-produced content, tapping into the matters and concerns of youth in Chicago. As well as all the crazy, wacky, tea-sipping, gossip-spilling, weird shenanigans that we, youth, get up to. Listen to your own risk, because your mind might explode. The chances are low, but never zero. So strap in, and let's get into the show! listening to What's Up on WLPN LP, Lumpen Radio 105.5 FM, Chicago. The team wanted to know, what exactly makes a city good to walk around? So we all took on some key aspects of our neighborhoods and tried to determine what our communities needed to make it better suited for a higher quality of living. We're talking about small businesses, safety, public transportation, and of course, asking, what is a walkable city? On today's episode, Walkable City. First off, we have Team 1 exploring the question, what makes a walkable city? Hello and welcome to What's Up Walkable City. My name is Mary and I'm joined today by Jasmine and Brian with a special guest, Lucero Flores, the specialist and urban ecology. And we're here to talk to you today about walkable cities. First, what is a walkable city? How do we define one? So I like the definition by Project Drawdown. Project Drawdown is a non-for-profit that focuses on decreasing greenhouse gas levels and stopping global warming. They define walkable cities as using planning, design, and density to maximize walking and minimize driving. They also focus on seven key factors in the environment that contribute to walkability. Those factors being demand, demographic, density, design, destination, distance, and diversity. We explore some of these factors with our special guest, Lucero Flores, who is again an urban ecology specialist. Now let's take a listen to what they have to say. I am a lifelong student and educator as it pertains to nature. I teach urban ecology at a nonprofit organization and what is urban ecology right it's it's everything it's i think everything is part of nature and humans often forget that we too are part of nature people talk about nature as if it's like i'm gonna go out into a forest but nature is not only in a forest it's also in our cities it's our houses it's our cars all of that is part of our ecosystem as part of nature one question that I always return to is, is the way that we interact with the rest of nature respectful? So is the way that we build houses respectful? Is the way that we grow our food respectful? Yeah, so to me, it's really important to remember my relationship with nature 
something that has been forced to separate. Humans have been forced to separate themselves from nature through colonization. I love like remembering myself, like re-membering, reminding myself that I am part of nature and helping other people remind themselves, remember that they too are a member of nature. And that spans like education, food, housing, culture, arts, urban planning, architecture. In your own words, can you describe a perfect ecosystem? I think a perfect ecosystem is one where people, animals, fungi, the soil and the water can allow that. I think in the, our current ecosystem, a lot of people try to control and conquer nature and that just doesn't work. It's created a lot of issues. If you look at the agriculture industry with monocropping, you see the land is stripped of its nutrients or with all the pesticides that are used, different insects that are very important to our ecosystem are killed off. In a perfect ecosystem, I think that there is that respect for change. In a perfect ecosystem, I think that there is that respect for change. How can we improve our environment to work with the natural world in an urban setting? So whether that be like um, city planning, infrastructure, and things along that nature. I think there's two ways to look at this question. One way is the at the individual level, the personal level, and what we can do in our day-to-day -day life. Um, the other more of the institutional systematic level, which is also composed of individual people, right? At the personal level, there's this phrase that I use a lot um, with my teammates at work and also just friends, and that is small is beautiful. Like the butterfly effect, one small change can create a ripple effect that can create more positivity. So yeah, at the at the personal level, it is about our relationship. So how are we relating to our environment and what is our environment? Our neighbors are part of our environment, right? So like being able to connect with a neighbor to, for example, build a garden bed and take care of that so that you can have food. Another way that I'm thinking is like water usage, just being mindful to conserve water, thinking about in that garden bed, Maybe you don't want to use pesticides and yeah, your chard may have your chard or your kale, whatever you're growing might have some insects that have been into bitten into it. But what's worse, like insects biting into your leaf and having a few holes or creating pollution with using pesticides. Another way that we can improve our environment to work with the natural world is, again, reminding ourselves that we are part of the natural world. As humans, we keep separating ourselves from the natural world, even in our language. And that's something that I'm constantly working on. Being conscious that whatever actions we are doing now, it's gonna affect future generations. 
If we truly want to improve our relationship with the rest of the natural world, just like everything, it takes time to build new habits. So you might start a garden bed with a neighbor and you then might use that garden bed to teach younger people how to grow food. And then they teach their descendants or future generations how to grow their own food within an urban setting, everything is so fast paced that and we expect everything to happen on command, right? We want bananas, we go to the grocery store. We don't think about the carbon emissions, all the that energy that it takes to get those bananas there. I'm not saying that we should eliminate like consuming goods from other places, but there are a lot of things that we can grow that we can do within our own neighborhoods. So I think on the personal level, it's starting small. Um, it, maybe it's not a whole garden bed. Maybe it's just having some herbs growing in your windowsill. Institutional level, when it comes to city planning, education, right? Our public education system, colleges. There's often been a top-down approach to planning a city or designing a city and designing what goes in, in a city where people that have a master's degree, right, or a doctorate are the professionals and the experts. And then they say what should happen or how a building should be designed or how a neighborhood should be designed when they've never set foot in that neighborhood or they don't have relationships with the people in that neighborhood. Um, so right now we see a really big increase in architects and city planners certifying buildings as like green certified, like they're, they're not creating harm to the environment or they're doing something to support the environment. Um, one example is the vertical growing that's like buildings that are multiple stories are growing food vertically in urban settings. Um, I believe there was a proposal for a building called the Dragonfly in New York City. And designs like that don't take certain things into account. For example, the weight of water. One gallon of water is a little over eight pounds. And if we think about the energy that it takes to carry that water from the ground, to multiple stories up high, you're not using your energy effectively. If urban planners, architects designed at a more local level with actually connecting with community members, thinking about what spaces community members have, what community members need, what community members have experienced, what are the ideas that the community members want to see in their own neighborhoods, and also when I say community members, I'm also talking about the squirrels, the birds, the plants, the, the trees, um, mushrooms. We also need to take them into account in order to improve our relationship with the natural world. When it comes to schools, I attended public schools in Chicago, pre-K through high school, and we're forcing children to sit at their desks for five, six hours out of their day. And then we force them to take tests by themselves. So it's very individualized, which is not preparing us for the real world. In the real world, 
there is community, um, there is collaboration. Yeah, there's working, there's working together. And so one thing that I've been working on that I would like to see more educators do is relating the topics that are taught in school, which are usually taught in silos and in individual separate topics, right? And again, that's not how the natural world works. Everything is always in relation to each other. So I would love to see more people who are directors of our education system to take a moment to listen to the students. A lot of the students are restless, they are tired, and treat them as whole human beings. And whole human beings eat food, right? We listen to music, we like to make art, we um, are creative, we find solutions to our issues. So we can apply that math, that science, the history, the art to real life contexts, like growing, learning how to grow our own food or learning how to build our own furniture, learning how to make our own clothes, um, learning how to make our own medicine. Definitely our institutions are overdue for a revamp, but it's very designed right now for the industrial age where when we're thinking of like assembly lines, right? And like one person only has one task and they only have one skill. And that's kind of what schools remind me of now. It's like factories that are pumping out students to produce for this economy that is no longer serving the people, not treating students as whole human beings, not treating our workers, our families as whole human beings, and not treating our non-human relatives as beings, period, as, as beings that matter. So, you know, throughout your answer, like I noticed a lot, it was like, um, you know, like talk about like growing your own food, like starting like your own kind of like personal garden and stuff. And so I think back, you know, obviously leads a lot into like self-sufficiency. And so now um, going like more towards like the main topic of the show, like, you know, walkable cities, a project called uh, Project Drawdown defines walkable cities as using planning, design and density to maximize walking and minimizing driving um, and they also say like a kind of focus on things such as demand demographics density design destination distance and diversity so basically designing a city um focus around like the individual uh, making it so you have all the resources you need to live within a within a reasonable distance from your house without having to be so reliant on a vehicle. So think, um, you know, like food apartheid, uh, having a grocery store within one mile radius, having access to public education within like your neighborhood and feeling safe and comfortable to access those things within your neighborhood all over the city. Keeping that in mind and focusing back on sustainability and like self-sufficiency, how do you think the push for self-sufficiency and sustainability can contribute to walkable cities. Self-sufficiency is one of the most important things we can do for ourselves. However, not everyone has the privilege of having the time to grow your own food or the resources. Soil is very expensive. <laughs> there is more that schools can do to schools and other public organizations can do to help the community be self-sufficient. So why aren't we growing more food 
in school that goes out to the families, right? Or why aren't nonprofits in Chicago that grow food over the summer growing in the winter in their hoop houses? It's possible. I have done it myself. <laughs> um, and as an organization, you have people, you have somewhat of a budget, you're able to help sustain something like growing food. It's also important to say self-sufficiency is not an individual process. Self-sufficiency needs to be done in collaboration because again, everything in nature happens in collaboration. Nothing happens in isolation. In that push for self-sufficiency, you're also creating relationships. So you get to know your neighbors, the teachers, you feel like people are taking care of one another. As you mentioned in the previous question about like green space, how do you think green space can contribute to a walkable city? In American cities, I'm thinking of like Chicago, New York. It seems like green spaces have been an afterthought. <laughs> At least that's that's my perspective, especially in black and brown neighborhoods and low-income neighborhoods. There are different types of green spaces, so you can have a park, right, or a garden, or a vacant lot that just has grass growing, or some wildflowers, some dandelions. And I think that there's a difference between a green space and a place. A place carries memory. A place feels more like home. So when a community takes initiative to create an outdoor place that families can hang out in, celebrate in, that's different than the top-down approach of urban planners saying, I'm gonna plant some flowers in your neighborhood, right? If the community doesn't feel a connection to those flowers or to that space, it might never become a place for them. It might contribute to gentrification. I think that that contributes to a walkable city because people really benefit from being outside. People need sunlight, fresh air. Um, there, especially in cities, there is something called nature deficit disorder where people are not getting enough time outdoors and it can create different types of health problems. Um, and so having these places that people can play or host celebrations or just take a walk to decompress is super important for a walkable city. Um, and again, I think it requires a level of locality where the local people are invested in respecting and keeping up with that place um, so that they'll want to continue visiting. Before we get into what Lucero talked about, we'd like to thank them for coming onto the show. They talked about so many interesting points. But before we get into that, I want to know, what will be your personal definitions of walkable city? Jasmine, take it away. I personally define a walkable city as a city that works for every citizen. So whether you're rich or poor, no matter where you live, 
you're able to access every part of your city and have all the resources you need within your own neighborhood. It's a little simplistic, but that's my personal definition of walkable cities. Mere, how about you? What do you what's your definition of walkable cities? My definition of a walkable city is somewhere where you have stores near you and you feel safe to walk around. But Brian, what is your definition of a walkable city? Whenever I hear the word or the the phrase walkable city, I think about safety in the streets. I think for a city to be walkable, it should be available for anyone to walk around without feeling like they're in danger or they're being stalked or anything like that. I feel like it's just like a free space for people to be. I would like to know from you guys who benefits from a walkable city. I think everyone should benefit from a walkable city. I know like in segregated cities like you know the quote unquote like richer nicer parts like I think in those types of cities there's only like a certain class that benefits but in like a proper like true walkable city everyone should be able to benefit from it. Um like I said earlier in my definition like no matter what class you are no matter where you live um it should benefit the city as a whole and not just like certain sections. What about you Meta? What do you think about that? I can agree with you Jasmine. I feel like a walkable city is beneficial for anyone. I myself benefit from my neighborhood. My neighborhood is pretty walkable too. I feel like everybody benefits from a walkable city in their own way. But Brian, what do you think? Well, when you say it about um available, when you say the who benefits, I think about depends on where you are. So for example, if there's a park, if you want it to be benefiting for someone, it would probably be like like Mira said, the neighborhood, the residents around there because it's a public space, you get me? So I feel like it needs to benefit them because that's the purpose of the people used to be there and to be able to hang out with friends, family without any obstruction or any obstacle. And we know there there are a lot of places that are not the most friendly to be in there or to be able to be walkable in a way but what do you guys think we can do to make those places more wa- walkable I think that we could definitely um well like the city as a whole I think definitely could focus on like creating stronger centers within like neighborhoods so like a community a community center in like every neighborhood promotes resources within the neighborhood I know like living I've lived in like various different parts of Chicago and living in like one place like I'll I'll only know about like oh there was a food drive or oh like there's access to like free glasses like by going to my library and I don't go to the library that often you know I have books on my phone and so I think to make a city more walkable we need like neighborhood like hubs to promote the resources so that people know what's available to them know that if they don't have access to something there's other means to get those resources but I think the city should do and focus on like what Jasmine was saying I feel like sources are a big part of what makes a walkable city a walkable city for example the The organization that Lucidito works for is it helps making the city more walkable. But speaking of walkable cities, Brian, what do you think could be more helpful and beneficial to make a city more walkable? Well, when I think about that, I think about maybe more police, I guess, because the police officers roaming around to make sure there's nothing going on, to make sure people are safe. Uh once like I want to go back to a point that I always think about like parks and like public spaces. And I feel like just safety is the best thing to to make a public space walkable, and I would like also like order so there won't be like any violence or any gang problems around there. I remember Lucero talking about uh, green spaces and uh, walkable cities and why they're important. But what do you guys think green spaces are important? I think green space is important because. 
it's a form of like public leisure space. So think about like, you know, a park, like open field, there's families, there's people exercising there, there's families picnicking, there's kids playing. It's a fa it's a place for communication and interaction in the city that's free and available for everyone. You know, you think like going to like a bar or going into like just I don't know, a random like play area, but like that's like behind like a paywall. That's not building community in a city. But green space, like public parks and stuff, that's a place that everyone can access uh, without having to pay. So, you know, it just fosters community. And I think it it's important because with like green space, it like, you know, also like helps like mental health and stuff, like seeing like trees, seeing like the greenery, although it's cheesy as it sounds, it really does help people. And so I think like having like those safe spaces out in the open just like adds to a city's like overall, I don't know, for lack of a better term, positive vibes. Yeah, I do agree on that. It just basically goes back to what I was saying, like a park you go and you feel like it's it's nice and pretty, you know, but also I feel like it pushes people, more people to just go out and enjoy to those uh, beautiful views. Uh, I also think about, you know, how Jolakali has done all those workshops outside of Boys and Girls Club and their little garden. That's a, that's a, I consider a green space because they do a lot of different things. I remember one time they did um, their own DIY dice for shirts with like fruits and stuff like that. And I feel like those uh, those little spaces just give people a reason to go out and interact also with even more people or just like learn new things. I can agree. I feel like YOLO um, does a good job doing that because I've been to their workshops and they're pretty cool and they try to use stuff that are already outside. For example, one time I went to like this nail workshop and we use like flowers and like things from outside put into our nails which is like really cool and then what i consider a green space is like a park or somewhere where it's like grass like with jasmine what you were saying i feel like a green space is always going to make a city more pretty and more walkable and just more free you know yeah no like i i totally agree with it and I think Chicago does a wonderful job of that. Like we have so many open parks, like, you know, you have Millennium Park, you have the Maggie Daly, like Plaza and everything, just a bunch of great spaces in Chicago that foster community and like, it, it's all green space. Um, and I know you have like a fun fact about Chicago, right? Yeah, I do. Y'all want to hear what's the fun fact? Yeah. yeah. Jump roll, please. According to Chicago Agent, Chicago has been ranked the eighth most walkable city in the U.S. What do you guys think about that? I think that's pretty cool. Coming from Chicago? It is cool, but it's also a little bit hard to believe, to be honest. Uh, there has been a lot of shooting incidents reported in Chicago in this past year. There has been a lot of things going on. And just looking at the number eight, I, I guess we're not the worst but still it's really shocking for me and i guess we could probably maybe move it up a little bit if people are conscious about it yeah no i agree i think chicago does a really good job like it's a very walkable city but only to a certain extent like i agree that if they fix certain issues we could go up in the list like one major issue being transportation because i feel like once you pass harrison street in chicago going towards the south side the walkability of the city just severely decreases. There's a lot of problems with ghost buses and the CTA and just like, you know, all the like the trains and stuff. I've just been seeing major delays. 
And so I feel like if we fix like these little issues that Chicago could like shoot up the list and maybe be like number five, in my opinion. Honestly, though, I agree, too. Um, I agree with both of you guys a lot because I feel like, yeah, like not only Chicago, but any city in general could be ranked pretty high if they could fix certain stuff or have more resources or more walkability. That's that's all I really got to say, though. Yeah, for me, like once again, I don't want to feel like I'm repeating myself a lot, but I really think that safety is a really big because um, there's a lot of people that just don't feel safe in certain neighborhoods because what happens around them as well. And I feel like if there's something done about that, it'll be more available for everyone so they can feel just comfortable walking around those areas. Awesome. Thank you guys for sharing your opinions. So now it's time to wrap up our section. In this blog, we learned what a walkable city is and got to talk to Lucero Flores about green space and self-sufficiency. We also shared our personal opinions about what a walkable city is, where we dove into the different topics like safety, the benefits that will bring into the community, and how green spaces are important for our community. Once again, this has been Brian, Jasmine, and Mire. And we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening so far. This is What's Up on WLPNLP, Lumpen Radio 105.5 FM, Chicago. We'll be right back to walkable cities after this short break. And with that, let's pass it off to Team 2 with your segment on public transportation. You're listening to What's Up on WLPN LP Lumpen Radio 105.5 FM, Chicago. This is Sam, and I am joined by Angel and Jeremiah on our segment about Chicago's public transportation. Join us as we vox pop our way into the CTA train stops and hear what the passengers have to say. You will also hear our discussion where we compared our very own CTA trains to Japan's. Later on, we will give you a survival guide on navigating around the windy city using different modes of public transportation. All this and more on Walkable Cities. This is Harold Washington Library, State and Van Buren. Transfers red, blue, and brown line trains at Harold Washington Library, State and Van Buren. This is an orange line train to Midway. We ventured out into the heart of Chicago by going to multiple train stops in the loop, asking CTA train riders their experiences and opinions on Chicago's public transportation. The first question we asked CTA riders was, what's your major mode of transportation and how convenient is it for you to take it? Uh, I usually take the train, usually red line. It's pretty reliable but that's because it's like the main line CTA and so there's usually one every few minutes so pretty reliable. The CTA train because I don't have to pay for parking is more (laughs) convenient. Well since I moved to Chicago it's been the train and it it is pretty convenient for me to get around because 
I'm a student, so I get free train rides. Probably the train, simply because a lot of the locations I go to are in the loop area. And it's just the most convenient. I, it's like maybe a driver or a bike away from my house. I usually use uh, public transportation, CTA. Um, it can be reliant, but most of the time if I'm traveling in the morning, I usually travel from around 5.30 a.m. to about 6 or 7 o'clock at night. It's been more and more infrequent. Um, I have complained to them. It doesn't seem like anything, and they just continue to use the excuse of COVID-19. Based on what most people have said, Many find the L train to be their major mode of transportation and find it convenient because of its close location to work or school. According to the monthly ridership report from the CTA, the average weekday ridership was 800,000, with the train having an average of 236,000 riders in 2021. That's a lot of people depending on the L train to take them to their destination. Traveling on the train can be convenient for students who can benefit from traveling at a lower cost with the student fare, and for workers since they can reach their workplace in less than minutes. The L train provides a convenient way to access all parts of Chicago without the use of a car. It can lead you to the downtown tourist attractions, but also to the outskirts of Chicago neighborhoods. This is Western. Doors closing. The second question we asked was, what would be your ideal mode of transportation and why? Uh, still public transport, like train, bus, um, just something a bit more reliable than what we have now. I guess a bike, just because then you can get around whenever you need to. You don't got to work on anybody else's schedule. Uh, we'll drive. Now drive. time if the parking was so expensive. Probably owning a car, and but it's a little tough because of the city. There's rarely parking anywhere. Probably either a car or a bike simply because that's already in the get-go and you don't really have to wait around. Like Uber, yeah, you can wait, but having your own car is even better because you know where it's parked, but you have to worry about parking. Bikes, though, you don't really. That's a lot more um, compatible in order to take around and you get exercise too. If only like it was safer, though. My ideal mode of transportation, and I'm actually looking into this and working on it, is actually getting my own personal vehicle. Um, it's unfortunate that I would have to drive into the city and pay the absorbent amount of parking fees, but, I mean, having to rely on CTA the last few years has been unreliable. Based on what most people have said, many find their ideal mode of transportation to be by car. This is understandable considering many things like safety and time, for example. According to the Active Transportation Alliance, commuting by car continues to be our region's mode of choice, with 59.1% of people driving to work. And travel distances have been rising at a disproportionately high rate compared to population growth. From the interviews, many people expressed that they would rather much use a car to transport around the city if only the parking fees weren't so high. However, on the brighter side, many people express their ideal mode of transportation to be biking. The ATA states that the city of Chicago has seen a steady rise in bicycle commuting, growing from approximately 2,000 commuters in 1980 to nearly 24,000 commuters in 2018. That is quite the jump, and it seems that more people are taking the matter of transportation into their own hands. And the final question we asked was, 
What's one improvement or change you'd like to see with Chicago's public transportation? Maybe the timing system, but I know due to COVID, so a lot of stuff is off balance right now, so basically the timing system. Maybe cleaner, because they, I mean, you know, there's always violence too, so probably that. Like, just make it safer for everyone. Something that's more well-upkept, um, something a bit more on time. Like, I would love to take the bus everywhere, but it's hard because, like, usually they're super late or they're running behind or, like, they don't even show. So something that's just a bit more, like, upkept. Probably wait time, simply because um, on the slower days it can get anywhere from, like, 15 minutes in a wait um, if you, like, end up missing a train. But it kind of does depend on location that you are but that is a little hard to work around since there are trains and it is a pretty good system so far. I think that would probably be the main thing though is time. I would have more frequent trains and buses for commuters, especially those who are traveling in and out of the city for work. Um, the fact that you have to wait upwards of 20 to 30 minutes is ridiculous to me. Um, the other thing I would do is I would update our, our loop system, our train system. Um, every other city that I've been to is outpacing us by 100%. Um, I look at cities like Vegas and Florida or New York who have large transit systems, and I feel like ours is falling behind. Based on what the CTA's rider had to say, most would like to see improvement and change in wait times, safety, and overall how the CTA is managing their system. Commuters wait on an average around 15 minutes but over 44% wait longer than 20 minutes, according to Move It Insights. 15 minutes are too long of a wait, especially if you are running late for something. The rise in ghost trains and buses have left many riders frustrated and seeking solutions. The advocacy manager from Active Transportation Alliance said, CTA should focus on providing updates and communicating to riders in a timely manner particularly bus riders who rely on the bus tracker for updates rather than announcements at rail stations. More resources should be put towards keeping the bus tracker as accurate as possible to ensure riders are not left in the dark. Now that we have heard what the CTA passengers had to say about public transportation, we will give you an insight into our personal opinions with the discussion Jeremiah had with me and Angel. Doors closing. Hello, Sam. Hello, Angel. Hello. How are you? Hi. Recently, in an article by CBS, they state that law enforcement has taken measures in increasing security despite results lacking improvement. The CTA increased security guard uh, presence, including those trained in martial arts. The CTA also installed security monitors in all 146 rail stations. Do you think more security will make you feel safer? Would you enjoy the extra security? Personally, for me, I feel like the extra security wouldn't make me feel safer. I feel like the extra security would make taking public transportation much more overwhelming to the point where you don't feel comfortable taking it. I feel like for me, maybe I'll feel like a little bit more safer just knowing that like there's somebody there that we can like rely on to like take care of any issue since that is like their job I guess as a security but I guess I can see how like it could also there's like pros and cons to having security so yeah I feel like to me personally I I would feel just a little bit more safer especially when I'm like traveling alone or like when it's like empty on the train so that's how I feel. Firstly I just want to take the train with my mom. Okay then. 
Regarding safety, I want to compare a particular intriguing practice that takes place primarily in Japan called uh, pointing and calling. It is the act of physically pointing and verbally saying the action you're going to do or what you see. Train conductors and train uh, helpers um, use this uh, daily to uh, conduct uh, regular um, checkups on the train at each station. How do you think this helps them? I feel like it helps because it makes like the pro like let's say they're pointing and calling out a problem per se. I feel like it's an effective means to let to notifying everyone around you and your surroundings knowing the specific problem. And I feel like it brings much more awareness. Yeah, this is like the first time I hear this term, like especially in a place from like Japan. Like I know they're pretty well known for like how efficient they run their trains and like their public transportation. So I guess it's like point and calling system. Like if it, if it works for them, like I think we could learn a lot from that as to like why it's so efficient. And I think, yeah, just the point and calling thing, like I think like the purpose of that or like how it helps is just that it kind of keeps the, what is it? The train conductors and like the staff people just like, always on their toes and just like always keeping them like aware of like the trains and then the people as well and just you know keeping things in line yeah um the act of physically uh saying what you're gonna do or saying or alerting someone like hey the door's about to close or hey your 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 bag is stuck and just saying it and pointing at it and halting everything just to make sure that person is safe like there's so many situations where like yeah this could be a lifesaver in the most simplest of ways if point and call was implemented into the CTA here, would that be a welcome benefit or an unnecessary hassle? I feel like it would be more of a hassle just because since it's very common in Japan, I feel like everyone gets used to it. But I feel here because it would be so brand new to introduce it that there will be so many more uh, negative reactions in terms of positive ones. In some instances, it can help. I, I could definitely see it helping, but I feel like it would just get a negative reaction. Yeah, I can. I, I agree that like definitely introducing like a new um like something new to like the trains and like having to get the people used to this like system. I feel like there would be like a lot more backlash, but I feel like the. I feel like if the CTA or like and the passengers, if they were to like become more used to this, it could become more like efficient in how we run the trains and like just having like just a very like efficient like system kind of going. Yeah. Yeah. I think just like it's always introducing new things and like especially with like how the trains already run slow and then just introducing this would make it like run more slower so it's always kind of just weighing those pros and cons but yeah i feel like overall like in the long run it could be pretty good to have this in the cta i agree with both your points the trains do already run long as is it, it honestly you got to pick and choose what exactly you favor more your time or your your safety at certain points which is sad mm -hmm. oh sure anyway um Another thing Japan has been doing that America hasn't is in implementing only women passenger cars to protect women from sexual harassment. 
would you think this should be implemented into the CTA? And would you feel safer if this was implemented into our city structure? Well, <clears throat> since I am like the only, I guess, woman in this group, yes. I would say definitely for me, like it would, it would 100% be like way better for me to take this like train if it were ever to happen. Just like knowing that being in like, knowing, knowing that I'm going to be like safe on this train, like this definitely feels a lot more better, I guess. Um, but I know there's always going to, there's always going to be that backlash from like certain people of having to wait for this train or like, um, like if this train comes and then it's like the guys have to wait. <laughs> um, I definitely see that like how they would be a little bit more upset, but in the long run, it's for women just to feel more safer being on the trains, especially like if they have to take it at night or just like when they're alone. So I definitely see how like yeah. it works for Japan and like how there's less like sexual harassment on the trains, of course. So, yeah, I'm definitely all for it. Yeah, I That's... agree with what Sam said. Yeah, me too. But in regards to building an entire another section of railways, I don't think our city would like that at all. And they wouldn't be bothered to do that. What do you think? Yeah, sadly, I feel like for the city, it would just be like another burden to do <laughs> to make just that they have to spend more like more money on like more trains. So and, yeah, I and feel like then where would they like fit them? I guess like any other train, <laughs> but just having it specialized. But yeah, that it would be interesting to see how Chicago can like implement that into their trains. And like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's also like this um, this uh, data from this one article that says like how 70% of the women who use public transportation in Japan are in favor of women only cars, which is like that's a lot of women for it to be like 70%. So yeah. Well, I'm afraid that's all the time we have for today. Uh thank you, Angel, and thank you, Sam, for joining me in this conversation. Thanks for the fun chat. Hello, Angle here, and I'll be your tour guide today around the windy city using the many different modes of transportation. Wanna get somewhere fast and easy? There's a train. Worried about going at your own pace and enjoying some of the beautiful buildings? Luckily there are scooters and bikes. Or how about looking at all the different routes and scenery via the comfort of the windows in a bus? Whatever your choice is, there are so many different ways of getting around. But at the same time, all these different options at your disposal can be overwhelming. And how can you use these resources to the fullest while also being safe? Join me as we see all the do's and don'ts of each type of transportation and how you can enjoy your experience to the fullest. Choo-choo, all aboard! The Chicago L-Line has the third largest rider count of any public transportation service in the U.S., according to an article published by the CTA. With so many different color lines, as well as over 145 stops alone, it's easy to get lost in the big city. In order to avoid any confusion, try to map out and plan which line you are boarding and which way you are headed. Not only that, but make sure to double check which stop you are getting off at, as some lines, such as the blue line, 
have different stops with the same name for some oddball reason, which makes it some very confusing moments. One of the key apps we needed to help get around is Transit Tracker, available on phones. It informs us about the estimated time of arrival of buses and trains all at all stops throughout the city, all from the comfort of your fingertips. While waiting for the train, always make sure to keep your distance from the rails, as a study by Federal Transit Data showed that most casualties in CTA happen primarily due to railroads. Speaking of waiting for the train, there is not a single day that goes by when the trains are running very behind. Perhaps it's taking too long and you're wondering if something happened. Well, the official Twitter page and website of the CTA are the best sources for keeping up to date with the latest delays and incidents. On the train, the safest place to be is in the front car where the driver is located. With this, assistance is the closest. A study by Life Science showed that outer seats away from the windows are also the safest seats no matter which car you're in. And don't forget to be kind and give up a seat for someone that may need it. Be sure to always stay caution in your surroundings, and the signs slash advertisements by the doors always have a map of the line with the stops. This should help you when you're getting lost or confused. When factoring all these concepts, you can make sure the next trainer will be fast, easy, but also a very loud experience. Fun fact. There are over 129 different routes to take on the bus, and an overwhelming 10,768 stops in total. Holy moly, that's a big number. As with trains, preparation ahead of time will make the process of getting around much easier. What's nice about CTA buses is the fact that you can pay the fare via cash in a time where everything requires some form of digital payment. As revealed in an article by Business Insider, the middle of a bus is the safest area to be around. When you're approaching your destination, pull down on the silver wire to request they stop the bus. As with everything, make sure to keep an eye on your surroundings and be considerate when giving up seats. This is more of a personal advice, but when you're at a stop and see the bus, make sure to make your presence known by waving at it and calling it out, of course in a responsible way. There were numerous times I could count where I was waiting at a stop and the bus just completely passed me because I wasn't in the driver's view. It varies from time to time, but it's just an extra precaution that can save a lot of time and frustration. A report by Streets Blog Chicago revealed that 800 Divi stations are located all over the city. Not only that, but there are over nearly 17,000 Divi bicycles alone, not including the many electric scooters you can find around the city as well. What makes this even more impressive is that when the service first started back in 2013, there were only 75 stations and 750 bikes in total. They have become extremely popular thanks to how accessible it is to ride one. You can either go to the bike station or use the handy dandy Divi bike app to purchase one. It is very extremely, remarkably, immensely, and hugely important that bikers obey the rules of the road just like everyone else. That means making a halt at stop signs and not taking red lights. Actually, a report by the New York Times revealed that cyclists disobey traffic laws the most, with an overwhelming 57% of cyclists failing to stop at red lights. It's also crucial to wear a helmet at all times and to ring the bell as a substitute for a car horn. 
The most surprising thing in my research was that in an extensive article by Forbes, they go on into vivid details about how data shows that bike lanes aren't as safe as you might expect them to be. It was revealed that separated bike lanes raised the number of crashes by 117% compared to shared roadways. The article ends with reporter Diana Roth saying bike lanes give cyclists and drivers a false sense of security, leading to increased accidents. Maybe riding a bike seems too scary. Well, there's always the electric scooters as well. These are relatively new, being officially introduced in the city for the past year. There are multiple apps out there that allow you to reserve, track, and unlock a scooter anywhere in your area. It's important to know that there are many brands and services of scooters, but all of them have a $1 unlock fee, and the typical charge per minute ranges from 25 to 40 seconds. Actually, there's financial help available for college students and those who qualify. These perks include free unlocking fees and a reduced charge per minute. You can find out more on Divi's official website. As with bikes, always wear safety equipment to be an extra caution. I've actually seen some people say that you can fit two riders up at once, but that's not true. Best to stay safe and just have one person per scooter. With all these in mind, you'll be able to kick two times, press the accelerator button, and ride off into the sunset safely. Well, I hope you enjoyed this little survival guide to all the different means of transportation in Chicago. Being such a large and popular city, it's difficult to get around. Hopefully you not only learned some way to help be safer, but also gain some insightful fun facts to help make your decisions easy and smarter. Trains are fast, albeit noisy. Buses are moderate, but crowded. And bikes, along with scooters, aren't the safest, but they are, <clears throat> hopefully, affordable to people. No matter what you take, be sure to stay safe, but also enjoy the trip. our destination. On today's trip, we were able to talk with CTA passengers with Sam, learn just how different transportation services are around the world thanks to Jeremiah, and explored the city with Engel's survival guide. We hope you enjoyed learning all about Chicago's public transportation on walkable cities. Thanks for listening so far. This is What's Up on WLPNLP Lumpen Radio 105.5 FM, Chicago. We'll be right back to walkable cities after this short break.
Welcome back. This is What's Up on WLPNLP Lumpen Radio 105.5 FM Chicago. So far, we talked about the definition of a walkable city, hopes of our ideal Chicago, and public transportation. And in our second hour, we're about to get into safety and the impact of small businesses. So let's get back into it with Team 3, keeping us safe. In this segment, we will be speaking about safety within walkable cities. Diego, Ariandi, and Denise have curated audio pieces including soundscapes, interviews with community members, and a special surprise at the end that will leave your ears wanting more. With that said, let's get this segment started. Thank you for joining us in this block. We're kicking things off with an interview done by Denise with the founder of Peace and Pilsen, Leonardo Quintero. Peace and Pilsen is a community organization that provides youth a safe space to feel acknowledged and heard. Coming to you from Chicago's Southwest Side neighborhood, Pilsen. When speaking about safety within walkable cities, one must understand how things became the way they are. Gang activity in Chicago can be traced as far back as the 1880s when Irish gangs grew dominance in Bridgeport and back of the yards. These gangs were not much different than what we encounter today. Many members would terrorize immigrant communities and engage in political corruption. As time went on, Polish and Italian gangs grew dominance in Chicago. These gangs quickly shifted their purpose towards racist violence against black and brown communities. And in return, many of these same communities created their own gangs to defend themselves against the racial violence white gangs posed. Since then, the evolution of gangs has turned into a complicated and more divisive topic in Chicago. There's one initiative that hopes to increase positive relations among Pilsen's youth in order to decrease violence. That initiative is called Peace in Pilsen, and today we speak with their founder. Yeah, so uh, my name is Leonardo Quintero, uh, born and raised here in Pilsen. I went to Cooper, Orozco. I got kicked out of Juarez just for for making poor choices. Um, And I got sent to an alternative school that was Richard Milburn that closed down um, because there was a lot of tension between the black and brown young people at the school. Um, And someone ended up getting stabbed. It was hosted inside of a church. The church was like, we can't have this. And they kicked us all out and left about 60 young people um, without schools, right? I was about 14 at the time, um, and I was left without a school because CPS had kicked me out for two years. Um, So from there, I just kind of looked at other options. I eventually found the Instituto de Progreso Latino. They had an alternative school as well. Um, I went there, and I started to meet teachers who were from the neighborhood, like from Pilsen, from Little Village, that had come back after doing college and were giving back to the community. Um, and then understanding like the social dynamics of it and like representation in these positions of like higher education, um, it kind of triggered something in me um, and made me see uh, just community in, in a whole different way. Um, so taking back, um, I started getting very confused and very angry at about age 11 when I lost my first friend to gun violence. Um, and, and, I, that same day I had to go to school, right? And in my mind, I uh, I rationalized it because I was like, well, if I don't go to school, my mom and my dad are going to get upset with me, right? Um, not knowing 
this is a big traumatic event that just happened. I should probably seek some help. Um, and, and looking back at it, I feel like that's kind of where a lot of my anger and like my, um, my retaliation started occurring. Um, and then the, the peace and Pilsen, um, initiative actually began in 2015 with, with us. Um, but it's been going on for years. Um, peace and Pilsen had been, um, called upon when ceasefire was here in the early two thousands, um, like in the 2010s, uh, with the, when the JDF project started, um, TRP had, what before it turned into Increase the Peace, TRP had a program with Henry Cervantes um, in like the mid-2010s, and, and they would also use the moniker of Peace and Pilsen. So it, it's just been used uh, as a different call-outs when, when, the, when the neighborhood needs that, that sense of community. Um, so we only found it right to, to continue that. Um, the way that we started it, it was me and my oldest, um, and he started just by asking me a question of, you know, why, why homeless people were on the streets, right? Why, why, what was happening? Um, and, and that also just lit a light in me. And I was like, you know what, this is something that we have to start teaching the next generation young, um, how to build community, how to be in community, how to respect each other and how to help one another out. So we started doing food drives. We started doing um, like clothing drives just in a really small scale. Um, and it's slowly built out throughout the years. This year, um, we decided to go more visual. So we started doing more uh, social media, more more uh, more outreach and started focusing more on, on the violence aspect of it. Um, because my son now is 12, so he's very close to the age where, where I lost my first friend, um, I go to pick them up. I see some of the young people and I see that they're kind of going in the same steps. Um, and it's been 20 years now. And, and like, it's the same issues that we continue to have as a community. And I feel like there needs to be intervention that comes into play. Um, so, so he suggested, or he mentioned that, that there was lack of, you know, after school programming, there was lack of summer programming, so we decided to just create it, right? Um, we didn't want to reinvent the wheel. Like I mentioned with TRP, they had um, previously done like hoops in the hood. Um, I forgot exactly what it was called when they when they were doing it, um, but it was with the Pilsen Family Task Force at the time. And I had been part of that. So I saw what like the buildup was and, and kind of like the breakdown of things. So I was like, you know what? Let's not reinvent the wheel. Um, we already have this blueprint. So let's do that. Um, so, so we just bought two hoops, a few basketballs and we're like, you know what, we're going to do it. So we started, uh, making flyers and promoting it slowly. It went building out different, uh, nonprofits started reaching out. Hey, how can we help? Um, different community members, uh, reached out and said, Hey, we want to be part of this. Are you taking funds? And we would just say, no, we're not taking any money. If you want to bring something, bring chips, bring water, bring Gatorade, bring young people. Um, and, and that, that was like our biggest ask, bring the young people. And, and a lot of people did, um, we did outreach outside of Cooper, outside of Youngman, outside of Pilsen, um, outside of Orozco, just like all the schools. Um, and, and we, we saw like the first day we had about 30 young people who showed up. And then we also had uh, the 18th street hip hop crew. Um, so they came out and did like a halftime show. So it was pretty cool. Um, we asked DJ Gonzo, who I met 
while I was working at one of the schools and he was a student. So it was 2015, I think I met him. Um, but now he's, you know, he's DJing at like venues and things like that. So I was like, you know what? It's cool to see like the full circle. So have him come back and he agreed to come and DJ. Um, so it was, it was just beautiful to see, you know, the community stepping up for each other. Um, so once we did that, we're like, you know what? We can't stop. Um, and through conversations with the young people at that same event, um, they told, there were some that were sitting down and I went up to them and said, what, what are you interested in? Why aren't you playing basketball? And they said, well, I came to support my friend, but I'm more into gaming. So then that triggered our, our, us to, to want to do game nights. So when we're at the game nights, they said, oh, we want to do movie nights. We want to do poetry. We want to do open mic. And then we did the open mic series. And then, so we're, we're slowly building out based on what the young people are asking for, because I've worked in nonprofits for like 14 years now. And it's always like, well, this is what we have the budget for. This is the program that we're building. And young people have to fit that mold. And, and I feel like it's a lot to ask because if I'm not interested in something, why would I join it? Right. Um, so, so why don't you tell us what you want? And then we'll, if we have the foundation and the ability to, we'll build it for you. When speaking to Leonardo, it is evident that having someone with lived experience can cause a positive ripple effect with a younger generation. Listening to the needs of youth helps create greater trust and possibly pave a path towards finding their interest that joining a gang could never achieve. I further asked Leonardo to walk us through his history of safety in Pilsen. It, it's, there's definitely like a, a sense of concern, right? Um, when I was younger, it was the, oh, we're going to get checked on the corner. Um, oh, we, we might get into, into a fight if someone looks at us weird or we look at someone weird by mistake. Um, and, and just, I mean, you grew up with, with, with these young people, right? So like I grew up with my friends and eventually someone turned into a gang member, but that didn't stop us from being friends. So now you're associated with this person that's in a gang and other people are like, oh, so he's part of that too. Right. Um, so I built that out. Um, I never joined any particular gang. I would always, I, I, I've always been social. Um, so I, I've always wanted to talk to everyone. Um, and I think that kind of kept me out of it. Similarly, there was always this weird build of community where the older gang members would not mess with you and in a way kind of create a safe passage. Like I remember going to Pedraza as that was then not to age myself. But that says was a, a video rental store on 19th and Wood. So I remember going there and like the gangbangers being in front and just being like, oh, hey, here's a dollar. Go rent a movie. I mean, in a sense, it's grooming. Right. <laughs> but also like it, it, as a young person, you you get a dollar. And you're like, Oh, now I can get another movie. Right. Um, so you don't see it that way. And, and like it, it's it created like this weird. Synergy between like the gangs providing safety, but also causing harm. Um. And then now as an adult, uh, I'm not as worried for myself because, I mean, the gang members look at me and they're like, oh, look at that old man. But I do I do worry about my children, right? Or like a stray bullet or or anything in that manner. Um, I worry about, you know, there's, there's different things to worry about, like now looking into like. Um, like the harm that happens to, to our to our women in our community, right? Like, you know, like or rape, like 
like assaults, like all these things, it, it definitely, I'm definitely more hyper-focused on those types of issues as well. As a young person, if I heard a, a woman scream, I wouldn't think much of it. Now I'm like, what is happening over there? The complexity of any sort of affiliation with a gang member, whether it be a loved one or a trusted adult, creates a polarizing relationship at an early age for children. In a Rochester study done in 1998, researchers found that the most important community risk factor for joining a gang is growing up in neighborhoods in which the level of social integration is low. In other words, a lack of a sense of community contributes to a greater probability of joining a gang. This becomes even more difficult when resources aren't allocated towards these communities. Among family variables, poverty, absence of biological parents, low parental attachment to the child, and low parental supervision all increase the probability of gang membership. Low expectations for success in school, low student commitment to school, and low attachment to teachers also contribute to gang affiliation. Oftentimes, resources to alleviate these risk factors are often overlooked in Chicago. When asked about the future of peace in Pilsen, Leonardo has high hopes to pass the baton onto the younger generation and grow further. I would ultimately want to give it to more young people. Um, like if a young person, you know, wants to wants to do this, um, I mean, I would happily turn over the the social media accounts. You know, they could take or they could house the basketball things here. Um, but but I would want them to to take ownership of it and just go with it. Um, I, I feel like it's something that that can be continued to build out. We've gotten calls from Brighton Park, from McKinley. Um, we started doing some work with North Lawndale and Little Village. Um, so there's a need and a want for this, um, these types of programs. Uh, and, and I feel like it cannot operate in a nonprofit way just because of the red tape. Um, sometimes we get calls uh, about a shooting, so we'll show up. And you need a very specific grant to be able to do that if you're in a nonprofit. But if you're just a community program and an initiative, no one could tell me not to do that. Um, and and I mean, I, I just feel like it's something that has to be community, community led at, at all times. Um, because no one knows what the community needs, what the community, where the community hurts as much as the community um, and its people. Um, so, so what I would want is for a bunch of peace in, you know, whether it's peace in Pilsen, peace in Little Village, peace in, in uh, McKinley Park, but just to continue growing that out and, and just community members investing in themselves and in their young people. In their Thank you again to Leonardo Quintero for spending time with us and talking about why organizations like Peace in Pilsen are so vital to our communities. One of 14 people killed by gun violence this weekend in the Windy City. One case likely gang-related, nine people shot, two killed. 
Chicago police are searching for the gunman who allegedly killed two people Tuesday in a shooting. Now her family is left to bury ID. They didn't take the victim's wine bottle, striking him in the head. Learning new details tonight about a 15-year-old boy stabbed to death this morning on a CTA redline train. Chicago police are trying to track down a suspect who robbed a man at gunpoint. Breaking news right now from Little Village. Four people are shot. One of them has died. She was too late Friday picking up her niece, Taylor Franklin, before the 17-year-old was shot and killed. Thank you for continuing to tune in. That was a short audio piece by Diego that features one of many news headlines that highlight crime on the south and lower west sides of the city. Coming up next, we have a narrative piece by me, Ariandi, that touches on how we have become so accustomed to being scared and cautious every time we step foot outside of our homes. Eight killed, at least 30 wounded by gunfire over a long Thanksgiving weekend. A Chicago Sun-Times article highlights that three people were killed in separate shootings within 15 minutes on the south side early Saturday. A normal weekend in Chicago is always preceded by an article like the one I just mentioned, so one can assume how violence becomes somewhat of a commodity on the southwest side. Churchification is making the neighborhoods more... Man, it's always the same thing on the news, talking about some violence and this and that, and there was a shootout, and I got robbed, and this and that. I mean... I do wish that our city was a little bit more safer, or at least our neighborhoods on the southwest side. Man, me too. I wish there was ways that we could just leave our house and come back 15 minutes later. Like, I always gotta take my car out, like, blow gas. This city is so, so hostile. Right, did you hear what happened with Geneva? No, what happened? I never stop, no matter what, unless it's I drop something, I pick it up really quick, but I never stop to really look or talk to anybody. I usually just go straight to where I'm headed, and if I feel unsafe, I take the bus. Man, I do the same thing. Always look forward, never look at anybody in the eye for too long, and if I have to, I'll take the bus. Yeah, I try my best to ignore people around me too, but I feel like in doing that, we lose touch with our community. I guess I never really thought about that, but I'm kind of scared of the people around me. Have you ever wondered why you're scared of people around you? Well, I don't know. Not really. I sometimes feel threatened in my neighborhood, like, on weekend nights, because, um... Everyone is outside and like being rowdy and stuff, so I tend to not go out walking on on my main street during the nighttime. That is too true. People are always being so rowdy on the weekend, shooting guns, doing some drag racing. Man, it never ends. Yeah, but what are your chances of you being shot by your neighbor down the street or you being caught in a drag race? Stuff like that happens every day. Yeah, well, stuff like that happens on the north side too, but you hardly hear anybody talking about it. Hmm, true. But stuff like this is so prevalent on the lower and southwest sides, it's really all I can think about when I leave my house. 
I'm not saying not to be cautious of your surroundings when you leave your house. I'm saying you shouldn't look for genuine portrayals of your neighborhood in the news. What is a big corporate TV station going to know about your next door neighbor? Hey, my mom lives next door. That's what I'm trying to say. I wish there were there was more safety for pedestrians. Uh, sort of like a watch or something, but like it should just be safer to be outside and not be scared all the time. After listening to what happened to Geneva, I feel bad for people in our communities. Right. Why is it so normal to be cautious every time we leave our house? Why do we think about, oh, am I going to get shot today? Oh, am I going to get robbed today? Why aren't we thinking about the good things that happen on our way home? After talking about this, I realized how something as little as saying good morning to your neighbor can go a long way. Right. Just saying good morning can help start a healthy relationship between you and your community members. Plus, what's the worst that can happen? Do I really have to say it? Man, are we even in the same conversation? Building community is the first step in preventing violence in our neighborhoods. Well, thanks for the insightful conversation. Next time I see my neighbor, I'll make sure to say good morning. Hey, your mom doesn't count. I was talking about my other next door neighbor. That's me. Right, I'm getting a little hostility from you. And I'm trying to build a healthy community between you and me. So, sorry, and good morning. Good morning to you, too. Thank you for listening in on that little piece. Building communities with your neighbor is important when addressing big problems in your neighborhood. On the topic of walkable cities, it's important we reach out to those in our communities to listen on what they had to say about our neighborhoods and what they wish they could change. It is especially important in neighborhoods with high immigrant households where English isn't a first language that we reach out and speak for them when they can't. Like the previous audio piece said, the South and Lower West Sides aren't exactly walkable and it is imperative that we reach out to our community and bring these problems to our local government so we are able to make a change. In the life they're living, you can't have step. It starts with the young ones doing crowds for fun. And if you ain't down, you'll get played out, son. So let's get a car, you know, I fly with. Get a dent, pull a screwdriver, and be off quick with the dope ride. Yeah, and a rowdy crew. We could bag us a fence and an Audi, too. Even a Jeep or van. We're getting our show. Take a trip up the strip and be like stars, so it doesn't matter if the cops be scoping. They can't do jack, that's why a young brother's hoping to do anything. Thank you for listening in on that song. That was Code of the Streets by Gangstar from their fourth studio album from 1994, Hard to Earn. We are sadly coming to an end on this segment, Safety in Walkable Cities, and we hope you enjoyed so far. We will be ending the segment with a freestyle by yours truly, me, Ariandi, and Diego. It's a bit of a silly piece and open to interpretation, so please listen open-mindedly.
Charlie. He's, he's recording now. Yo, but let's talk about that lead in the Chicago water pipes. What, what's up with that? What's up with that? Dude, I love lead. Dude, I heard <laughs> lead is poisonous. Dude, I heard water is lead. Water, that sounds about right. Turning your cheek is the right thing to do. Look to your left and your next regret is ending up like me. And I know this to be true as I was once like you. Listen to the radio, post it on the block. Just like cardio, ready for the next stop. And I know you know this isn't no show. This is happening outside your delivery front door. And if I was to stop now, who would help me? When blood and money is all I see. Ain't no telling what we gotta do. Give me the change, give me the change you gotta do. Yes, we we're the same riddle pain set to loose. And society set the noose. We just a number in the case. No doubt that's all we get because we just the wicked suffering underwater bubbling. Just the very small scene against the world. And out of pressure, this shit ain't even new to me, son. I keep it new to me, run. I got the shooter reflux. Bang, bang. Who's gonna save us? You ain't the truth, you the blame, man. Go to Vegas. You see a shoot, see his gang, man. Gonna save us. Oh yeah, you remember when you made the tunnels down in Chicago? Through the pedway? Dude, yeah, the I'm, pedway. I remember yeah. I licked the floor in the pedway. It was kind of yummy. <laughs> no, God. <laughs> we good though? No. <laughs> what did it taste like? Nothing really good. Okay. It tastes yummy. You gotta tell me, like, did it taste like tonic candy? Did it taste like grapes? Mm, it tasted like that rat. I heard it tasted like time. Mac Miller. What? Pause, that's that sounds wrong. <laughs> I remember I, one time. <laughs> I have to go though. So. <laughs> okay, okay. I guess we yeah, can stop now. I think this is a good amount. We can stop now. Thank you again one last time for listening to our segment of the show, Safety in Walkable Cities, that has been brought to you by Denise, Diego, and me, Ariandi. We hope you've had fun so far, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Thanks for listening so far. This is WhatsApp on WLPNLP Lumpen Radio 105.5 FM Chicago. We'll be right back to Walkable Cities after this short break. Last but not least, Team Forward was bringing in small businesses. What's up? You're listening to WLPNLP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio, broadcasting live from Studio B in Bridgeport. This segment is called Small Business Big Impact. My name is Sebastiana and I'm here with YOLO. In this segment, we will be discussing the impact small businesses have in walkable cities and neighborhoods. Local farmers markets, mom and pop shops, tradesmen, and other local running businesses play a vital role in creating community. We have two interviews, one with a restaurant called Monzo's Burgers, and another interview with the wonderful people at the Beverly Area Planning Association. You're listening to Small Business Big Impact on What's Up Radio. So we will begin talking about farmers markets and how they have a positive impact on communities. For me personally, I love farmers markets. They bring me such happiness just seeing everyone buy all the fresh produce and hearing all the people. It's its own unique little environment. 
It's honestly one of my greatest highlights from the summer. Fun fact of the day. Did you know that there are over 8,600 farmers markets currently registered the USDA? In Chicago, there is typically one farmers market happening in quite literally every neighborhood, if not a neighboring neighborhood. Personally, I didn't know of any in my neighborhood, but I do know of some that happened in a neighboring neighborhood, Inglewood. They sell their crops from their community garden, and something that is beautiful about this is that they accept clean cards as well in these markets and also put in an extra discount if you pay in with your link card. As I got curious about this, I looked into this and there's a program that allows for this to happen. It is called Link Up Illinois. In the site for the city of Chicago, it says that it was developed in 2011 to the Link Up Illinois program. It aims to increase the affordability and accessibility of fresh fruits by doubling up the value of Link or Snap. These farmers markets are having a wonderful positive impact in many low-income communities and families that are buying fresh and organic vegetables. Sebastiana, have you ever gone to a farmers market and what was your experience like? I have visited several farmers markets. I also used to work at them. Um, and one thing I enjoyed most about the farmers markets is just that it's a completely different experience buying fresh produce from local farmers than it is from going to a big market grocery store. Um, at those type of businesses, you don't get that personal connection with whoever grew and, you know, you know, sell the vegetables. And also what I enjoy about farmers markets is that the conversations are never just limited to whatever the seller is selling. You talk about the community, you talk about other events that are happening nearby, you more likely will leave with more than just vegetables. You can also like have a friend and then they refer you to, you know, other resources that are happening nearby. So it's a good place for social engagement and creating community, which is very important to the concept of walkable neighborhoods. So when you worked at farmers markets, what did you do? Um, I worked for a business that was called Banny's Beats, and they sell pressed juice. Um, so a lot of our conversations would be about the fresh produce and like health benefits that would be provided from the juice. Most of the conversations, like when people would come up to me, they would say, "Is do you sell jelly? And I'd be like, no, it's juice. So, and then I probably refer them to somebody that sells jelly, like, oh, but you can find jelly at the other person, you know, two tents down. So it's just like, you know, conversation and helping other businesses. Like Sebastiana worked in small local farmer markets, there are also huge farmers markets that occur, like one in downtown that takes up a good block. Something interesting I learned while looking into farmers markets is how these markets also have to be accessible as well to disabled people. This was very interesting as it is part of regulations when opening one. I learned all about this on the City of Chicago's website. If you want to look more into this, look up Farmers Market City of Chicago, and everything I just talked about should be attached there. Farmers Markets are alive due to small businesses running them, like Sebastiana said, though at times they need support. So, how does this happen? 
So another great thing about farmers markets is that it creates an opportunity to walk around and walking around makes it much easier to explore what's going on in your neighborhood, which is why it's so important that we invest in creating more walkable neighborhoods. Um, cities that invest in walkable cities create more opportunity for social engagement, leading to a more established community. And shopping small is not just about helping the families that own businesses. It's not just about buying one product and you shop small. Those small and big purchases also help boost the economy for the neighborhood and surrounding neighborhoods. So Yolo, do you live in a walkable neighborhood? No, I don't, sadly. Okay, well, what could change in your neighborhood to make it more walkable and what needs to be added so that you can enjoy those experiences when you walk around? To have a better experience to walk around and look at these nice local small businesses, I feel like there would need to be like better structured like sidewalks because they're kind of wonky and that isn't very helpful when you're trying to have like a nice little stroll just looking down at like the beautiful small businesses because it's just like you have to look out for your feet. Now we're going to listen to an interview with the Beverly Area Planning Association, an organization that works to uplift small businesses and invest in neighborhoods that surround the area. I'm Davia Douglas, the Community Relations Director here at the Beverly Area Planning Association. And I'm Grace Kaifman, and I am the Assistant Director of the Beverly Area Planning Association. Can you tell me more about what BAPA is and what their mission is? So BAPA is a community-based civic organization that it was founded in 1947, so we've been celebrating our 75th anniversary. And, um, and basically, BAPA focuses on the quality of life issues in the Beverly Hills and Morgan Park neighborhoods, which we consider one community. And um, we have programs in business, as you know. Um, uh, we work with the police on safety, we work with our neighborhood schools, we work on housing issues, you know, basically everything that contributes to uh, a good, you know, active community where people are informed. We do the villager, we do e-news and, and blasts and stuff like that. So communication um, to keep everybody uh, to keep a happy community, what do you think? You know, like, uh, um, yeah. So we're a very active community, and BAPA is has always taken a really active role in all of the important issues that keep communities strong. Is there a particular small business in Beverly or Morgan Park that you love to visit? Well, I think that you can't limit it to one. <laughs> Depends on what you're yeah. looking for. Well, yeah, exactly, because there's a lot of variety in Beverly Morgan Park that um, that a lot of neighborhoods, uh, you know, don't have like the small shopping districts that we have grouped around our train stations. We have train stations every four blocks in this neighborhood, which is unusual, you know, for the, for the city. Um, and each of those those areas has its own little character. Um, so, you know, my favorite place is it depends on where I am, you know, mm -hmm. like right here, you know, we work here. So we're all, you know, we're at Afro Joe's getting lunch or coffee, mm -hmm. you know, we need to get a gift. We go over to Turkey. Um, you know, there, there's mm -hmm. always, uh, 
a little shop to go to. County Fair, you know, is our grocery store that's been here for more than 50 years. Everybody, you have to wear makeup when you go to County Fair. <laughs> you know you're going to see somebody you know. So um, I think what we're really lucky about is that, no, I can't say one business. You know, I got, I got, got time for 10 or 20, you know. It depends on what I'm looking for, mm-hmm. what my vibe is for the day, because sometimes... I'm fully dressed in like a pair of heels and I know that I could go into like a BU. And then sometimes I'm in gym shoes and I'm next door at Ruth consignment shop like doing fancy thrifting. And of course the local food, like Mm -hmm. what type of cuisine do I want? Mm -hmm. Cause there's such a variety here and diversity in the palettes of the different restaurants that you can always, you can get whatever you want in the Beverly Morgan Park area. How can small business help create a thriving community? So small businesses, in a community like ours, the transactions go both ways. You know, that they need us to be shopping at their businesses, which most of us happily do. Um, And then they support our neighborhood. Like, Like BAPA is a membership organization, so residents and businesses both support us with memberships. Um, you know, small businesses, all, you know, also like donate to schools and, and organizations and, and everything. Um, and also, it's just where you have thriving business areas, um, you also have thriving social areas. You know, you're, if people are shopping, they're seeing each other, they're doing things, they're reminded, oh yeah, you know, uh, we live in a great neighborhood with great neighbors. And, and so it, it all adds to the excitement. Um, which is really, really important. And also they're, they're investing in the beauty of our neighborhood. These shops are, are really you know, beautiful and maintained really well and have beautiful windows and, and you know, add to the neighborhood ambiance. It's important for BAPA to encourage the support of small businesses in Beverly by hosting events. Well, Beverly Morgan Park is an unusually shaped neighborhood. We go from 87th Street on the north end to 119th Street on the south end. And so there are a lot of people who live on the north end of the neighborhood who aren't, they don't go by the, na- the businesses on the south end of the neighborhood as a routine for, you know, where they're going to work or school or whatever. So we remind people everywhere in all aspects of the neighborhood, in all locations of the neighborhood, these are the businesses across Western. These are the businesses at 119th. These are the businesses by the railroad tracks. These are the businesses up, you know, on, on the North End, on 95th Street and stuff. Um, so that people know what's going on in our business community and also that encourages them to shop. So things like the, the Sip and Shop, you know, that is, it's a fun social event. But, you know, part of what's really fun is that all the people who are, you know, going from shop to shop, you know, everywhere they stop, they've got another bag hanging off mm-hmm. their arm because, you know, they're, they are sipping and they are certainly shopping and they're learning about the businesses. So all those business events are important. And not just from BAPA. You know, there are other organizations that work on business events in our community. The Morgan Park Beverly Hills Business Association, the 95th Street Business Association, you know, BAPA does a lot of collaboration with them, and uh, even with uh, the 19th Ward office. You know, larger events, we also work with the neighboring Mount Greenwood community organization. So, um, so there's, there's a lot of people working on making sure our businesses thrive here. Providing resources and opportunities through business memberships and trade verified badges seem to be a big focus of BAPA. What led to that? Well, 
as I mentioned, you know, BAPA is, um, it's a, we're a small not-for-profit. We depend on contributions and memberships from residents and businesses in order to fund our work. And so, um, you know, basically from the get-go, you know, we don't, the donations and memberships have, you know, have been a funding source for us. Um, the, the trades referral, that was, that's been around, I don't know, for like 50 or 60 years. And basically that started because um, these are beautiful old homes and um, BAPA, they, they, there needed to be a way to connect people who needed to get work done with people who doing that kind of work in the community. So basically it was just a, a tool for, um, for, to stimulate people taking care of their houses, these beautiful old houses properly and being connected with the kinds of tradesmen who know how to work in vintage houses and redo slate roofing and things that, you know, you just don't find in the suburbs. What positive changes have you noticed from encouraging the support of small businesses? I would say definitely increased collaboration mm -hmm. because we have been able to promote our small businesses in ways we have been able to create ourselves as like an extension of their marketing efforts. And so they've trusted us to continue to send customers to them and create that collaborative efforts where when we are like, is there a business that, I don't know, has candles or something? Maybe that's not something that they were previously selling, but if it's identified as a need from our community, we are able to present that to our small businesses and they normally are able to provide. And so we are continuing to change the market in the area based off of the needs of the people that actually live here. And that I've been seeing as truly positive in many different aspects. And I also think too that, you know, when there's business events, there's gonna be a, um, a holiday stroll on Western Avenue this coming Saturday. Um, those kind of things also um, connect businesses to other businesses too because they're working together they're all promoting they're they're taking more of an interest in what do my business neighbors sell or what are their services so that when someone asks them where do I get this or who do I call about that um, they know who to refer and um, and that is that is so strengthening to not just the business community but to our whole community to have everybody working together to support their Neighbors. What's something you wish more residents, business owners, or non-residents knew about BAPA or Beverly? I would say that I would like residents to know that we're really accessible. They should stop by or call if they have any questions or any needs. But if you're a new business, call us. If you haven't heard from us, call us because, you know, you don't have to be a business member for sure to, to take advantage of all of our services and all these promotions. And that was such a beautiful interview, Sebastiana. So what is something you learned from that interview? One thing I learned is how supporting small businesses is a domino effect. When you support one small business, that often leads to the support of an another business and how each business, is, they also support each other. Um, I also didn't realize that BAPA partners with other organizations that do the same work. 
So all that community networking really helps uplift the community, even down to how they provide trade verified badges to people who are tradesmen and how that also helps the community. Grace talked mentioned how important it is to take care of uh, the vintage homes that are in Beverly. And it is very important that the people that do work on their homes know what they're doing. And the fact that neighbors use a particular individual and then send them to another house so they can work really continues to uplift the visual aesthetic of the neighborhood because if the houses don't look nice, then people won't be inclined to walk around and which will lead them to shopping at the different local businesses and et cetera. Yeah, I agree. That's just like so amazing. Just like creating this whole little community of people that like support each other is very key into having an amazing community. I also really like like how interconnected it kind of felt like how they were really connected and interested in becoming more like creating a more diverse community for everywhere in Beverly and the Morgan Park area as they touched up on like a bunch of times, which I like honestly forgot that Morgan Park was part of like the Beverly area. So I was like a nice little refresher for me. So next we will have a interview with Claudia Bustos, one of the owners of Mansell's Burgers, a restaurant located in the Beverly neighborhood. They work closely with their neighborhood by creating a safe environment for kids after school and also have worked closely with BAPA, which is Beverly Area Planning Association. This weekend, they will be taking part in of their event and they will be showing off their Christmas burger. Now we will begin listening to the interview. Mi nombre es Claudia Manso. Um, nosotros tenemos un restaurante y el restaurante se llama Manso's Burger. Llevamos nueve años con él y nos especializamos en las hamburguesas. Bueno, nosotros nos encontramos ubicados en el 2353 West de la 111, casi en la esquina de la Western y la 111. Si tú tomas el transporte público, te bajas y estoy enfrente. Cuando pasó lo de la pandemia, estoy muy agradecida bueno, con la parte de la comunidad que nos conoce y de que nos quiere. Nosotros cerramos por varios meses. Entonces hubo una muchacha que, que nos dio mil dólares para que pudiéramos nosotros sobresalir con, con eso, ¿verdad? Hubo otro muchacho, cuando ya regresamos después de la pandemia, un muchacho que desde niño nosotros trabajamos con en la comunidad allí lo que hacemos es de que estamos abiertos para los niños que cuando salen de la escuela vayan a esperar ahí a sus papás. Uh -huh. Entonces somos conocidos por eso porque van varios niños de la primaria o del, de la high school que está cerca de nosotros y van y esperan a los papás ahí con nosotros. Nosotros tenemos hijos y, y sabemos que cuando salen de la escuela salen con hambre. Entonces nosotros le ofrecemos ya unas papitas, una hamburguesa, un hot dog, un refresco. Así, a ese niño lo conocimos desde que estaba en la, en la high school. Él ha ido frecuentemente a nuestro restaurante. Después de que abrimos de la pandemia, él ya se graduó de la universidad y fue y nos dio 700 dólares. Y nos dijo que eso era gracias que él ya había trabajado y, y que nosotros le, a nosotros a él le habíamos dado comida, le habíamos ofrecido algo de beber cuando él estaba esperando a sus papás y que ahora él era el tiempo de darnos algo a nosotros 
y nos dio 700 dólares y la verdad me emociona mucho porque sé que nos lo dieron de corazón y, y es cuando yo digo, yo sé que aquí me quieren. O sea, no estoy envuelta con toda la comunidad, pero yo sé que ahí hay personas que nos quieren y eso me lo demostró. También cuando nos robaron, um, policías fueron, nos ayudaron, hicieron todo lo posible. Hay cosas de que son pocas muestras de, de cariño que nos dan, pero son sinceras. La verdad, yo siento que, que todavía hay generosidad en el corazón de los humanos y yo siento que pues, la comunidad eh, está ahí para apoyar cuando se puede, te digo. Y como en estas fechas ya nos van y nos dicen felices fiestas y sí veo que hacemos algo de impacto, como te digo, más porque cada año van más niños a esperar ahí a sus papás cuando salen de la escuela. Ah, pues... Ayuda a la comunidad. Hay una escuela que se llama Morgan Park Academy. Es una high school. Entonces, especialmente es secundaria. Cuando ellos este, tienen los exámenes, tienen tiempo libre, tienen diferente tiempo de exámenes. Entonces, esos niños van y también se esperan allí o están estudiando o se conectan al internet a hacer tarea, pues yo siento que en, es, en esa forma más hemos ayudado a la comunidad. Hay grupos, por ejemplo, como está BAPA, es otra organización que está allí. Este es el primer año, el primer año que vamos a trabajar con ellos hoy en diciembre. Tengo nueve años trabajando y hacen muchas festividades ellos, y este es el primer año que voy a trabajar ahorita en diciembre. Este sábado vamos a hacer un evento, una hamburguesa como de Navidad, Ajá. Y van a pasar, es como el, el, la compra navideña del, del town, dicen ellos. Sí creo que necesitan más negocios a, así como, el, como nosotros de familia, pero yo creo que ya hay negocios así como de nosotros, hay muchos, pero te voy a decir una cosa. Somos la minoría, somos minoría y no estoy hablando por mexicanos o todo, pero los que son pequeños negocios necesitamos más apoyo del gobierno. Más apoyo de que, que nos ayuden a nosotros a entender todo lo que hay afuera. Porque yo, yo, sé, yo sé que hay, hay becas, yo sé que hay esto y todo, pero a nosotros no se nos avisa. A nosotros como, o, o a la, hay, hay veces que sí mandan emails, pero no hay, no hay hispanos. Ahora me toca hablar del lado mío mexicano, hispano. No, no hay hispanos que te a, apoyen a ti en eso. Eh, hay todo eso en inglés y te, te vuelvo a decir, mi problema, mi obstáculo es el idioma. Eh, eso, eso es lo que muchas personas que conozco, ese es el problema que tenemos. Que como somos minoritarios, necesitamos como orientación, ayuda, porque sí, sí hay muchos. Y, y vas a la 26, vas aquí en la Polaski, vas y hay muchos como yo, pero todos tenemos el mismo problema. Otro problema que es, es de que como nosotros somos los mismos trabajadores y somos los mismos dueños, el más grande problema que puede haber es que yo soy cajera, yo soy mesera, yo soy la que limpio, mi esposo es el preparador, mi esposo es el cocinero, mi esposo es el que ordena. Tenemos varias, varias cosas que hacer en el restaurante. ¿Quién se encarga de, de revisar los emails? ¿Quién se encarga de, de, de chequear papeleo? ¿Quién se encarga de, de, de estar al pendiente del de contador? ¿Quién se encarga? Hay, hay tantas cosas de que, que necesitamos como que alguien nos ayude y que diga, ok, es que, que nada más me dé una orientación o estamos perdidos así como que 
sé que estoy en un lugar que, que está bien, pero hace cuenta que estoy en una isla bonita, árboles y todo, pero si me salgo de allí, me ahogo. So, what did you learn from your interview? Well, I really learned about like how difficult it really is to like run a small business. I mean, we're all very aware of it, but just like well, getting to talk one on one with the owner was like very interesting because you understand even more of how much more difficult it is when it's literally just the family. And for like big corporations, you have people that are assigned to like every small thing, but here it's nowhere near the same. It's like one person's managing like five different things. And that's when I really understood like, it's a one man show basically. And it's like so crazy to think how much like it takes for a person to do that. It was honestly like really inspiring. And I learned so much from them. When I'm older, if I ever want to start like up a business, I know that I would like go tell, talk to them for more advice because they just like seem so knowledgeable. One thing I love about your interview is that they mentioned how important accessibility is. Um, so we've been discussing how important it is to create opportunities for small businesses to thrive and flourish. And although there are, it's still improving, but there are a lot of organizations that offer that, but there's still a gap because there needs to be more resources that cater to, or not more resources, but the resources that exist need to be more mindful and considerate of people that speak different languages so that that population can also benefit from the resources. So their businesses can flourish and that leads to their neighborhoods and their communities flourishing as well. Yeah, totally. I agree with you. Like it's so important for everyone to have the resources and any other like language and stuff. Like it's not only language, but as well for like people that like just thinking aside from people that don't speak the language, but also for like again, like disabled people that like some people can't read and stuff that use braille and like sign language, like aside from that, like bringing that into like customer service, it really makes like a huge impact. And I think it's just like so important because it's like, like how can we also as customers like help them out in ways we wouldn't think of, but yeah. Sebastiana, what was your favorite thing about this whole segment? My favorite thing about this segment is I think focusing on the farmer's markets when you mentioned that the farmer's markets in Inglewood um, allows you to have access, allows you to use your link cart to purchase produce. I think that's that makes the space of farmer's markets more accessible to a different demographic of people. Um, and that's very important. I feel like sometimes farmer markets can be deemed as something that's not in reach. So I think that's really cool that they offer that. I didn't know that. But yeah, that was very informative. So that is the end of our segment. Thanks for listening to What's Up Walkable Cities, Small Business, Big Impact. We learned a lot today, starting off with the talk about farmers markets and their accessibility. We listened to an interview with Claudia Bustos, a co-owner of a family-run restaurant called Manso's Burgers that is in the Beverly area, as well as an interview that was run by Sebastiana that was an interview with BAPA, the Beverly Area Planning Association. We learned a lot about small businesses. So that is it for today. Thank you for listening to WLPN LP Chicago, 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio broadcasting live from Studio B in Bridgeport. My name is Yolo and I'm here with Sebastiana and we thank you for tuning in today. What's
that, our time has come to an end. Again, you're listening to What's Up on WLPN LP Lumpen Radio, 105.5 FM Chicago. And a quick recap on today's episode before we go. We talked about what it means for a city to be walkable and then brought it into our own city of Chicago, analyzing how our communities are doing on public transportation, safety, and local and small businesses. Thank you for tuning in. Catch us next time. And that's the conclusion of our program. Brought to you by the fine folks at... Oh, not you again. No. And yo, who let her back in? (laughs) And that's a wrap. We hope you enjoyed whatever it is you just heard. Heartwarming interviews, tear-jerking stories, magnificent music, and the sound of our voices. Because God knows that this is the best content on the airwaves. Don't forget to follow YOLO on all their social medias at YOLO Kali. And you can find all our audio content on SoundCloud, MixCloud, and Apple Podcasts. We bougie like that. Well, that's it. Bye. See you next Saturday from 12 to 2 p.m. for another episode of What's Up? What's Up? What's up?